Hello, Mama. We're back. I hope you are getting a break right now. I hope because you're listening to a podcast, it means you're getting to drive in a car, which sometimes feels so peaceful, even if your kids are in the back. I don't know about you. Or maybe you're on a walk by yourself or with a child. Um, I hope you're getting some form of kind of just a a breath of fresh air, a moment to recharge, a moment to uh, remember you're more than just mom. And I hope that this is going to encourage you in this moment. Now, we're doing some heavy lifting over here. We're talking about critical theory, which isn't exactly a light or easy topic. So uh, maybe you'll have to listen to a a second podcast after this that's a little more encouraging and less of the heavy lifting. Uh, But I believe the work that we're doing here is super important because we've got to figure out where our beliefs are coming from, where these ideologies came from that we are seeing um, the world through, where we're seeing parenting through. This is so crucial. And so that's why we're doing this series on discipline, because as much as I want to encourage you, I also want to equip you. And I want to give you tools to just be able to navigate this world of being a mom and do it in a way that aligns with God's word. And so even though it's a little bit heavy lifting, it's a little bit challenging. I'm sure all of us will be challenged in this. And I do want to say that um, when we went through critical theory as a church staff and we were learning about it and diving into it, uh, I remember multiple times they said every single one of you at some point is going to be challenged in one of your beliefs because again, this is uh, the water we've been swimming in, as David Foster Wallace would say. Like This is the, the cultural milieu. This is uh, how uh, culture sees everything right now. And uh, we've all picked that up in different degrees, um, You know, some more than others. But there's going to be little mentalities that you probably have uh, taken from critical theory that it's going to hurt a little bit to shift. It's going to be challenging to be like, oh, what is she saying? Do I agree with that? I'm not sure. And so my encouragement to you is if those moments come up or when they come up, because I believe they will come up for everyone, is hear what I'm saying and then go, like I always say, go take it to God, go take it to the Bible, go take it to your church leaders, uh, go do research that's biblically based. Make sure uh, you're checking who who your sources are. Make sure you're um, aligning yourself with uh, people with a Christian worldview, but do your own work. Um, This is meant to spark spark some movement, spark some ideas, spark some uh, tearing down of old ways of thinking, but it's probably not going to be the end of the journey. This is just, again, the spark. It's to get you going. And then you're going to have to do the rest of the work um, yourself. And I'm going to link a bunch of books that you can dive into. I have not personally read these. There are some I'm going to be reading. Um, My pastor, who um, I'm also going to link his sermon series to this, he has read all of these, or I I think all of them. I don't know. I can't quote for sure. I know he's read some of them. But this is his reference page that he he gave us about the books and the resources so we can learn more about this because it's important to know know, you know, where you're getting your knowledge from. Um, me personally, I also use Theos U, which is this amazing like Netflix style uh, theology uh, courses that are super helpful. And um, I dove into those on critical theory and deconstructionism and all of uh, some other things as well um, to kind of help me understand where this has shown up in my thinking and help me understand um, how this has impacted our world. So 
encourage you, go do the work, go dive deeper, go figure out what you believe, go figure out where you land in all of this and uh, let this just be something to spark your curiosity and your investigation because it's important. So I hope you're ready for some more heavy lifting. We're going to continue to dive into cultural or to critical theory. I want to call it cultural theory every time. I don't know why, (laughs) because it's cultural milieu. I don't know. Um, And so we're going to dive into that again today. I hope you listen to the first episode. I unpack for you more the kind of the definition of critical theory, the origins of it, and help you begin to understand kind of the tenets of it and how they are. This is a a counter-Christian worldview. And this has infiltrated every part of how we see the world, including how we parent. And so I want to bring how this has impacted parenting to the light so that you can begin to uh, sort through those beliefs you have about parenting and be and look at, oh, where did this come from? Did this come from the Bible or did this come from critical theory or somewhere else? But this is going to help you uh, piece apart that. So, okay, that was a long enough intro. I'm excited. Woo, let's go. Let's dive in. Here we go. Welcome to the Morning Mama podcast, where it is time to wake up to the life you were created for. Come join me on a journey to heal from your past, craft a healthy, joy-filled life, and discover the gifts and passions inside of you that the world needs. Hi, I'm Brittany, a former marriage and family therapist who is ready to help you grab hold of your courage, step out in faith, and discover that your life can become more than you ever dreamed possible. This is Morning Mama, a place for you to throw off all that has been holding you back and run into true freedom. All right, Mama, let's continue unpacking the tenets of critical theory and how it has impacted um, parenting as a, as a whole. Um, so we began talking about the first tenet of critical theory, which is the blurring of boundaries. You can see this in a, in a massive way in terms of gender and, and how that has shown up. And so that, that comes from the ideology from critical theory. So this, this plays out in a lot of other ways as well. Uh, we started talking about obedience and uh, kind of a movement away from that, the movement away from authority. And we're going to kind of continue on that thought for another moment. Um, so with this blurring of boundaries, there's also this moving away from right and wrong. And we kind of touched on this when we talked about not correcting for disrespect, but I just want to give some examples of kind of what I've seen in uh, with different social media influencers on parenting. And now I want to say there are so many positive things about what many of these people are saying. And I'm not saying to throw out all of the tenants. In fact, we're going to talk soon about biblical discipline, biblical parenting, what that looks like. And a lot of, there is some overlap. There is some beautiful, good things that are happening in the movements. There's just also some things I believe are are counter-Christian that are uh, against what the Bible says. And so uh, I think it's important to address those. So one of those things that I have seen is this this moving away from right and wrong. Um, So there's just a quote from uh, one of the influencers, and it says, do you have a difficult time dropping your expectations of how you, your toddler should behave or seeing their behavior as a way of growing, learning, and becoming their own person? So she's talking uh, about how not to say that a behavior is bad. She's saying uh, like she's encouraging people to 
release these expectations we have on our toddlers and just to see those behaviors as a way that they're developing and they're growing and they're learning. So that to me is a major problem. Well, first of all, it's the blurring of boundaries, right? It's removing this right and wrong. Now this is just learning. It's kind of this gray area. It's not good behavior, but we can't call it bad. And it's this blurring of the boundaries. Now, Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says we are all born with sin, that we have a sin nature, that there's a heart of rebellion in every man. And so while a toddler is trying to figure it out and trying to learn and trying to grow, that does not mean they're not in sin. And that does not mean we should not call out that sin. Now, I'm not saying we don't use grace. I'm not saying we don't use love. Absolutely. God is a God of grace and love. However, he's also a God of boundaries. We did a series on boundaries, I don't know, like 50 episodes ago, somewhere in there. And we talked all about how boundaries are good. They're healthy. God has got a boundaries. He says, I am God and you are not God. That is a boundary. Um, And so we, we know boundaries are healthy. Boundaries are how we thrive. And so the blurring of them is dangerous. And so when we move away from seeing sin as sin and we um, just say, okay, well, that's fine because they're learning. That's fine because they're little. Uh, I believe that we're moving away from what God calls us to. Now we need to give age-appropriate discipline and age-appropriate consequences, and we will talk about all of that. But there's this idea that we shouldn't call a behavior bad because, and and I think that the thought behind it is that it's going to cause shame in the child if, if they're doing a bad behavior. I disagree. God is not a God of shame, but he tells us this is bad. These things are bad. This is against my law. This is against how you're going to thrive. And if we don't have that clear marker there, it's going to be more confusing. And so I don't believe in saying you're a bad child. I do believe in saying that is not nice. That is, that action is bad. And you it doesn't put shame on them because you're not saying they are bad. You're not saying, um, you know, they are that action. And often, even when I when I talk to my son and I'm, I'm calling him out for something he's done, I'll often speak actually the opposite of that. I say, hey, this is not who you are. Like, I know you're a loving brother and you love your sister. And the way you've been acting is not that. And this is not who you are. This is not okay what you've been doing. And so, I believe it's very important to make that clear delineation even from a young age because they are, I mean, the first five years are the most important for cognitive development. And so if we are kind of uh, wish-washy about things and we're not clear on what is right and what is wrong, that is going to soak into their mentality. This blurred boundaries is going to carry with them as they get older. And another thing that often happens, and this kind of comes from a little bit of a different source, and we will unpack this more another day, but kind of some of the current research specifically with Dr. Siegel uh, has uh, began to unpack what it looks like to be dysregulated. And so in the name of uh, being dysregulated, we move away from this right and wrong. We think, oh, well, the kid is dysregulated, so that's why they're doing this thing. Okay, yes. I believe in that brain science that we are dysregulated and that's what leads us to this. However, that doesn't mean there's not sin involved. Just like when I get angry, I am dysregulated, but it doesn't mean I'm not culpable for my actions. It doesn't mean that it's not sin when I lash out, even if 
My husband was being really rude to me and that triggered me and that led me down my pain cycle and I got to the place where I was getting angry. I'm still responsible for that action. And if we're teaching our kids to, it's okay. And I know there's not necessarily that mentality. We're not telling them it's okay that you did this, though there are certain behaviors that are ignored. For example, uh, there's an example I, I read about if your child says no to your two choices, that you're supposed to, you know, either choose something for them or give them another two choices. But there's no talk about saying, hey, this is not how you talk to me. Um, and so that behavior is being ignored because that is a clear example of rebellion. They're coming against your authority as a parent. And so that's being blurred. And even as I'm talking about this, you probably might be cringing inside because of our cultural mindset that we move away from this authority. We move away from correcting for disrespect. But this is what the Bible says. There's rebellion in the heart of every man. And if we don't correct for it, we're actually hurting our kids because they're going to end up in a a lot worse of a situation because they were never taught to be corrected for this. Now, I know the goal in these moments of dysregulation is to to teach them coping skills so that they can then uh, know how to handle that dysregulation. And I believe in that. I think that's amazing. Like, yes, I'm all about teaching and we're going to talk tons about that soon. But along with that, we cannot uh, negate to correct We cannot skip over that part of saying this is wrong behavior and there's a consequence for wrong behavior. We've got to have both sides, the teaching and the correction. And if we're missing either one, the the kids will not be healthy. Okay, guys, I got to settle down a little bit. I'm getting a little passionate over here. I just have been seeing this for so long and I fell into it for so long too, thinking this was the right way to see things. And while there is good in it, like I'm saying, there's just a missing component from it that that then makes it unbiblical if we only do one side of this. And so I just get really passionate and I hope that you hear my heart behind it too, especially if this is something you've been following and maybe you still in this moment believe in it. Just know my goal here is just to, to help you Take your beliefs and put them in the light of God. And you can decide what you do with that. That's not my job. You get to decide that. But I'm just trying to bring it to the light so you can then do that process. And so I hope you know that wherever you're at in this, even if you completely disagree with everything I end up sharing in this series, I want you here. I I love you. I think you're amazing. And I want to be on this journey with you no matter where you land. But I do feel a call to speak into this. And then it's your job to do the rest. So uh, I hope you'll stick around no matter where you land on all of this because you are valuable and uh, it's just, yeah, this we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. And my journey took a long time to get to this place. And I'll share about that soon. But, you know, it wasn't just an overnight process. And so maybe this will plant a seed that will maybe someday change you and maybe not. And that's okay, too. So, okay, I just had to say that. Okay, another way that I believe this blurring of boundaries has impacted uh, modern parenting is this idea of co-sleeping. There's a new emphasis on this. We talked about this in attachment parenting. And again, I think a lot of the roots of attachment parenting probably come from critical theory. And it's this idea that in order to have this healthy connection, we need to co-sleep with our kids um, and allow them to lead that process of when they're ready to sleep alone. Now, I think this is a major blurring of important boundaries. Uh, I think this blurs, first of all, kind of a basic boundary of you and the child. Now, 
in the newborn phase, I, I, people, whatever. We're talking about when kids get older, um, this long, long time of co-sleeping. And this is a major blurring of boundaries for many reasons. You, you are now um, not separate from your child, right? You, in order to have time alone, to recharge, to rejuvenate, that's not going to happen most of the time. Now, I know some people get around this, but a lot of times I hear that people that do co-sleep, they have to go to bed at the same time as their child and they have to wake up at the same time as their child. That's how they get their kid to bed. That's how they, um, you know, their child will wake up in the morning if they leave the bed. And I'm sure there's exceptions, but, you know, thinking of that as like the rule and, um, you know, again, I know there's probably ways around it, but I have heard this from many families. And so you remove that time where, and we're going to get to the marriage in a second, but you remove that time of where you get to be independent of your child, which I think is one of the healthiest, most crucial parts of your day is that you're getting time away from them. You remind yourself you're more than just a mother. You are, remember, first a child of God. So, you know, if you're not uh, getting, if you're sleeping with your child all of the time, which means they're never sleeping without you, when are you getting that time with God one-on-one? When are you getting to be his daughter? When are you getting to sit in his lap and have him pour into you? Probably you're not getting much of that. Now, maybe you find time throughout the day, you know, there's different situations and that's great. I don't think it has to be in the morning. There's no rules about that, but I just think it's likely that you're not getting that time if you are not having this time away from your kids when they're sleeping. So that's the first thing. Also, just this this time of recharging uh, away from our kids. We remind ourselves that we are uh, humans, not just mothers, right? We're, we're independent of our kids. And there's just something so important about that for friendships. Uh, and of course, for our marriages. And this is another part of this is um, kind of blurring the lines of marriage and child. And, you know, it's like not the marriage bed anymore. It's the, the child bed with the, with the parents. And it kind of removes, that sacredness of the bed and makes it pretty hard to keep it the marriage bed, if you know what I mean. And it, it removes, it blurs that boundary of you are a child and you go in a separate place and we are the parents and we go in a separate place. And now, now this is impossible for every family. I know there's different economic um, constraints that happen that can, that can make this impossible. And I I understand that. And I'm not speaking necessarily to that. I don't necessarily know the solutions for that. However, if you have the means to have separate spaces to sleep in, I believe it's a very healthy thing for you to do because you need to be child, children of God first, and then wives. And if you are just always sleeping with your child, that kind of puts the mom part above the rest. Now, Again, you're going to have to do your own work and figure out what you believe and what you believe God is calling your family to. And I'm not here to tell you that. What I do want to highlight is that I believe this current thought in our culture comes, stems from critical theory and this blurring of boundaries. And that's part of what has influenced us to this place. And you can do the rest of the work with God. 
Okay, that kind of covers um, some of the blurring of boundaries that I see happening in parenting. Uh, the next one is the power of language. And we kind of already talked about this. It kind of touched on what I was saying about don't use the word bad. Um, it's because it kind of falls into both categories. It's this blurring of right and wrong. But the power of language in critical theory is this mentality that language is inherently oppressive and that all of our language, because it was formed from oppression, the English English language will always have oppression in it, like inherently. And so I see this play out in parenting with all of this uh, carefulness around how we construct our sentences and kind of this fear of don't say it this way, say it this way. Now, some of that's helpful. There are great things like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea about how to say that. But I do think it's taken too far. I do think that origins are critical theory. And I think it's taken too far in that, you know, like I was I was saying before that we don't use the word bad. We don't use the word wrong. We don't use the word sin. And I think some of it is we feel like sometimes as parents, and I kind of experienced this when I was kind of um, inhaling this mentality, um, kind of have to walk on eggshells. You feel like you have to always say the things right. And again, you're trying to revolve your world around this child and therefore you're giving them all of the power. You're saying, oh, I need to change everything I'm saying so that it suits you and so that it doesn't dysregulate you. Now, you know, if you go into the Bible, there's all kinds of things that Jesus said, we'll go with Jesus as an example, that would totally have dysregulated people. I mean, when he talked to the rich young ruler, it's the first example popping in my mind. He said, go and sell all of your things. And this is how you can uh, inherit the kingdom of God or to enter the kingdom of God. And this is found in Mark 10. And you know, Jesus told him he had to go and sell all of his possessions and he went away grieving. So of course he's dysregulated. He's like, wait a minute, I followed all these rules, but I don't want to sell my possessions. I, you know, and this isn't exactly about language, but the idea is that there's going to be moments where we're going to have to say things that are dysregulating because that is how we teach what is right and what is wrong. Like when, when someone corrects you, it doesn't feel good. It, and even if they do it in love, it still doesn't feel good. Now it's going to produce good fruit over time because we need that correction. We need that guidance. And if we're just left to our own devices, we're, we're inherently sinful beings. And so it's never going to go well. And so we need that correction, but it never is going to feel good. And so uh, I think the temptation now is to get so far away from this uh, quote unquote oppressive language that we make everything feel good, even when it not it might shouldn't feel good. Like the correction needs to have a little bit of sting in it because that's what happens with correction. When Even when you're hearing this podcast and you're hearing these things and you're like trying to figure out if you align with what I'm saying, there's, there's some sting in that because that's what it looks like to grow. And so I feel like we are uh, kind of stopping our kids from growing in some of these ways because we're trying to be so coddling in how we phrase things. But but I think they need more clear correction. And that needs to come out in our clear words instead of uh, getting away from that. Now, I do believe there's power in our words. And I do believe we need to speak in love. I'm not saying we uh, cuss out our kids and uh, say evil things to them. That's not all what I'm saying. I'm saying to clearly speak to them about uh, what is right and what is wrong. 
it's not okay for you to speak to me that way. If they are disrespectful, if they yell no at you, that's not, it's not okay. And if they feel comfortable yelling no at you, who else are they going to yell no at in their life? Like future teachers, future pastors, God. And now I think some of you think, oh, that's, that's a big jump to make. You know, that's, it's a learning process. They, they learn as they grow. But I believe these first five years are super formative. And if we are not teaching them how to see things clearly and how to submit to this authority, it's going to be difficult to teach them that later because so much is formed in these first five years. And you can see this in our culture. Like you, you see the typical teenager and how they treat their parents with complete disrespect. Uh, you know, often the, the things that they say are unheard of. I know this was me as a teenager as well. And so you can see this play out. If we're not correcting for disrespect and making it clear that's not, that's unacceptable and we're not showing them and teaching them how to submit to authority, then we be, when they become teenagers, they're out of our hands. Like, you know, right now they're small and we have uh, physical power over them because we're bigger than them. And so we have, uh, it's easier to keep that in check. But when they become teenagers and they haven't learned that, that mentality and that rule, then it's, it's over game over. Like, <laughs> and now I'm not saying if your teenager is like that, it's hopeless. I believe there is always hope, but I believe it's a lot easier when we start at a young age and we are clear with what God calls us to do. So I want to end uh, with this quote. So we're going to be soon going over um, a book that's really impacted how I see parenting. Uh, it's called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And I loved reading this because it was around the time I was learning about critical theory and my guess, and I don't know for sure, but this book was written like 30 years ago. And so my guess is he didn't have awareness of critical theory specifically, um, but he could see how it has impacted our culture because of what he writes about. And so I just loved being able to connect the dots to like, yes, this is what he's talking about. It's critical theory. So this is from uh, page 138. He says, it is difficult to teach submission in a culture with few models to follow. Since our culture's interest in the equality and dignity of individuals is not rooted in scripture, we have lost the idea of respect for a person because of his or her office or place of authority. So I want to end on this because, first of all, this is what we've been talking about, uh, this idea of losing, um, not teaching our kids to submit to authority. And we've lost this mentality. And I love how he says it because he says, our culture's interest in equality and dignity is not rooted in scripture. And that's exactly what is happening in critical theory. And uh, I really should have said this sooner, but there are absolutely people that are oppressed. Yes, I'm not trying to deny that at all. There are thousand percent the oppressed. And there are absolutely oppressors. 100%, thousand percent. <laughs> so when we talk, when I talked about how critical theory puts us all in a box of either oppressor or oppressed, I wasn't saying that none of us fit into those categories because we, some of us do, some of us have been oppressors, some of us are oppressed and that is real. But what is happening is that it's putting every single person all the time in one of those two categories. And that is not true of who we are. And to fight for equality and dignity on those basis 
is not rooted in scripture, like this quote is saying, because uh, if we go to scripture, that's not who we are. We are children of God. We are one in Christ. And while we might at times fall into those categories, they do not define us. And so, yes, I believe there's oppression. And yes, I believe that as Christians, we are called to be on the forefront of fighting for justice. And I believe that that is God's heart for people. And absolutely, equality and dignity are what God wants for us. However, I don't believe in the way that critical theory fights for it. It's not based on scripture. It's not rooted in who God says we are. So we've got to be careful when there is a nugget of truth and we hear that nugget and we're like, yes, I'm all for equality. I'm all for justice. And we don't really understand the root of that. And it's taken to a place that we probably wouldn't agree with. And so we've got to be careful about that. And so this is what we're doing with all of why we're going through all of these things with parenting is I want you to take each piece and look at the roots of it. Where did it stem from? And what are their conclusions? Where are they trying to head? What is their end goal? Because there might be a nugget of truth in the middle and it's really appealing and it feels good and sounds good, but the roots are bad and rotting. And the place it wants to take you is away from the Bible and what the Bible says. So I hope you feel challenged. I hope you feel encouraged, maybe just an understanding where some of these mentalities have been coming from. I encourage you to keep doing research. I'm going to link all kinds of things so that you can dive more into this uh, as you wish, because it's super powerful. And um, I hope that you do, because the more you dive in, I think the more you're going to um, see this play out and see how dangerous a lot of this mentality is. And I don't want you just to trust me. I want you to do your own research and, and dive in. So I'm excited for you. I'm excited for what God's going to do through that. And this is just all setting us up so that we can really uh, be open to what the Bible might have to say to us, because there's so much of this uh, blurriness, this uh, dust storm, this uh, different thoughts that have put themselves in front of us that seem so good and we want to follow them. They seem right. Everyone's doing it. And like we're going to talk about soon, we're often tempted to take those thoughts and look at the Bible through that lens. And we can't do that. We've got to look at the other things through the lens of the Bible. And so this is the reason we're setting all of this up before we talk about what biblical discipline looks like, because we've got to get the cloud away, the dust storm gone. We've got to take out these uh, ideologies, these these towers we've placed of belief that don't belong there. And we got to understand where they've come from so that we know that we can't view them as truth, right? And that's the temptation because it feels good. It's what culture's saying which means it feels right right now because that's the water we're swimming in. And so we've got to remove that before we can be ready to receive what God might have to say to us. So I hope this is helping you uh, just make some movement and we're going to keep going with it and it's going to be great. And you're doing an amazing job. If you have stuck this out and you're here and you're listening and pushing through, you are amazing and you are so strong. And I know God is going to bless you just for uh, being open to the challenge. Because again, there comes challenge with this and that takes courage to press into. So you should be proud of yourself. I know God is proud of you and I'm excited to see uh, what he does 
Okay, let me pray for you. God, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you that we can trust you for truth. I thank you that we don't have to swim in the sea of uncertainty, God, but you have given us truth to stand firm on. And so, Lord, I just pray that every belief we have about parenting, every belief we have about the world, God, that you would help us uh, just bring to light anything that doesn't align with your word, me included, God. I know I'm not perfect. I know this journey is something I'm still on. And so, God, for all of us, I pray you would reveal those things, help us to have the courage to face them, God, and just in your loving way, correct them, God. Help us to see clearly what your word says and what you have to say to us. And thank you that we can trust you with this process, that you're a good father and you're going to love us through it and hold our hand through it and be there as we figure this out. And so, God, I just thank you for what you're doing. And um, I just pray this process would continue as people feel excited and sparked on to go and do more research and figure out how this might be playing out more in their world um, and be equipped for these conversations with other people and for their kids in the future. And so we just thank you, God, for uh, this knowledge that we get to dive into and we can hold it to the word of God. And that will tell us everything. So God, you're good. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you, Mama. If you found hope and inspiration in today's episode, then hit subscribe. Make sure you don't miss a moment on this journey of healing. Want to help more mamas enter into the hope and freedom you have found? Please take a moment to leave a review. This helps so much to get Morning Mama seen so that more mamas can find this space. Lastly, please come say hi in our Facebook group, Morning Mama Collective. I would love to meet you and learn your story. Let me know where you're getting stuck in your healing journey so that you can help inspire more episodes. I am so grateful for you, Mama, and I cannot wait to see all that God has in store for you. Thank you.